let's get down to business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step booklet for you to get. Oh, I make money moves. You can't see me. My time is now. What up, what up, what up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness Times Business Podcast, the show created to provide you with the practical and strategic advice to help you level up in fitness, business, your career, your relationships, and your life. My name is Joseph Mansell. I am your host. Guys, I have a very special guest for this episode of the podcast, IFBB Pro Bodybuilder, Massive Joes, and TMJ Apparel Sponsored Athlete, Logan Robson is back. Good to be back. Mate, it's good to have you back, man. It's been, uh, I mean, a lot of shit's happened since you were here last. <laughs> Thanks to all that shit, that was the only reason that we had to wait two years till we're back here again. Yeah, 100%. It's almost, um, so we're shooting this on the 10th of November uh, 2021. And I reckon last time you were here was like the 9th of November 2019, pre-pandemic. Yeah, last time on an aeroplane, yeah. last time here. Yeah. Barely any bodybuilding shows in between. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But here we are. Yeah. Well, here you are, man. It's your second appearance uh, on this show. You're, I mean, it was two years ago. It's a long time ago now. But uh, And the show has grown so much in that time. But that uh, appearance, that episode is still one of our most popular episodes of all time. Uh, so a lot of people tuned in. A lot of people got a lot of value for it. And I know a lot of our listeners and our viewers are super happy to have you back. Uh, and we've got... Man, there's so much that I can that I can talk. I mean, you know, we spent a bunch of time together over the last 24 hours since you landed, and you know, we we talk about a whole bunch of shit. Um, and there's you know, I, I, there's a few things that I want to pick out, and I've, I've taken some notes because I think that there's a few things that uh, that I want to take deep dives into because I think they're going to add a lot of value to the listeners and the viewers. Um, but first things first, man. You know, since you were last on the show at the end of 2019, uh, little did we know when you were here recording that was really when the pandemic started over in China <laughs> in November 2019. Um, and so we've had we've had a one in a hundred year pandemic uh, that is still going on here two years later. Uh, on a personal level, you are now a father. I am. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm little, loving it. Little Echo, who uh, is almost a year old, right? Yeah, he's a year and a week and a half. Yeah. Awesome. So that's awesome. flowing. Feels like five months, but it's been a yeah. year already. Yeah, I can imagine. How's uh, how's dad life treating you? I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Obviously, no one out there probably tells you how much life can change, yeah. but um, we wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. Um, as my partner Jane calls it, it's, it's beautifully hard. Yeah. So I like that. Amazing, but... It, it is hard at times as well. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I like that. I'm going to steal that saying. Beautifully hard. Don't don't tell James. Or tell James. <laughs> uh, beautifully hard. I like that. Um, man, look, let's let's you know what. Let's talk about pandemic first and foremost. You know, because uh, both of us run businesses in the fitness industry. Uh, you for for the listeners and viewers who are tuning into uh, and meeting you for the first time. Uh, Team Sacrifice is uh, is your business with your uh, partner Jane. Correct. Uh, and it's one of the the most renowned, most respected uh, competition coaching businesses in the country. You know, you guys are pumping through 50, 60, 70 athletes per season uh, across all federations, IFBB, WBFF, ICN, NABA, uh, you know, and um, we've had so many shows cancelled in the last couple of years. I think we've had we, we had one season go ahead and three seasons cancelled. Um you know, and one of the things that uh, a lot of people, they see the, the, the front end of that. They see the shows cancelled and, you know, the athletes not able to compete, uh, gyms getting shut and people being locked down, borders being closed and all that sort of, you know, um, surface level stuff. But they don't really consider the the flow on effects, the ripple effects. You know, what what has your experience been over the last couple of years with uh, with, you know, all of the effects that the pandemic has had on the fitness industry? Um, yeah, I think the first season where it really affected Australia was before the Arnold Classics. So we had the Queensland titles, or all the state titles, I should say, yeah. and then it basically kicked in full force that week. It was the start. As you would know, yeah. um, yourself <laughs> yes, being know. A, a week out or five days out, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think we were had heading down to Melbourne with a team of 15, and the way... It went pear-shaped so quickly. Yeah. I think five ended up competing. Yeah. So we saw the show probably go from three or 400 people to 
just over 100 plus. Yep. Um, so it was awesome by Tony Doherty to still put on that show and it was still very successful. Um, and then I guess things escalated from there, thick and fast. Yeah, super fast, man. And that was, um, you know, you're talking about season A 2020, which was March 2020, uh, you know, and, and, and that was really where it was like, I, I think at that point, and it's kind of, it's hard to th consider these things in retrospect because so much has changed so quickly during the course of the pandemic. But to kind of go back to that, that was really when there was talk about this virus and there was talk about, you know, how, uh, you know, at the time how deadly it was and how dangerous it was and how transmissible it was. And, you know, I even remember myself, like I was supposed to compete in Melbourne and then obviously that got, that got pulled, but I was still going to go and watch the show. But I remember uh, canceling my trip because I was like, man, I'm like, I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm afraid of like catching this. What happens if I catch it? Who am I going to spread it to? You know, so on and so forth. There was just, because there was so much unknown, there wasn't a whole lot of data around now there's a lot more and we kind of know and there's talk of melbourne being locked down in an instant so yeah. I'm, i can't afford to get stuck down here for two weeks yeah. speaking of echo we actually only found out we were pregnant a week or two before that oh wow so then we didn't want you know jane in the early stage of a very early stage of her pregnancy yeah. catching covid or like with the the seriousness they were talking about so um like I said, we had five athletes keep going, but we actually didn't go down yeah. um, for, for some of those reasons. Yeah, 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 100%. So, you know, that was the the, the beginning. And, and what really has your experience been from a, from a pure business perspective? You know, like let's, let's get nitty gritty into the numbers here uh, because I really want people to understand the, the flow on effects of, of, of the decisions that have been made around, this, around managing the pandemic. Uh, you know, what has been the, the, the real business effect on your business from the start of 2020 to, to where we are now, the end of 2021? Yeah, um, well, basically 50% of our business is basically contest preparation, yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously we had the first show and then people st still kept trying to get ready all year. Yeah. Sometimes shows were called off a week before, sometimes it was halfway through, but um, that affected us massively income-wise yeah. as, um, you know, we might have had 15, 20 people doing a show and then instantly the show's called off. Some of them don't then continue on straight away because then they don't plan on competing for another year or so. Yeah. Um, some people keep reverse dieting and that, but the work drops off very quickly. Mm. So, you know, um, we lose people at a fast rate and then it could be six months before before it comes around again. Yeah. Uh, so that is difficult financially. Yeah. So we just tried to take on more lifestyle clients mm. and, um, you know... It's it's hard to expect people to prep when there's so much uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, that was going to be my next question: is you know how, knowing the the effect that it's had on your business, what was you know how have you pivoted through it? How have you kind of worked through it? And you mentioned you know taking on more more of the gem pop. Yeah, more of the gem pop, more of the lifestyle clients, um, and you know that was hard for a lot of them as well because they're out of work or training from home and don't have equipment. Mm. So you know. I was helping source equipment for people, uh, obviously changing all workouts and protocols and nutrition and whatnot to suit. Yeah. Um, so it was just pivoting with the times, but mm. every individual was yeah, so very different because yeah. every state, even internationally, we just all had such different circumstances. Yeah. So difficult right yeah yeah in your uh, it's an interesting i need to ask you this right because you've been in the coaching business in the fitness industry for over 20 years now right you've you you have a lot of experience you're probably one of the longest standing contest coaches slash people who have worked in the fitness industry for the longest period of time this last couple of years would you describe it as the most difficult period in business you've experienced yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the biggest thing is, and I've seen it change so much over the years. Yeah. Um, and you've just got to keep diversifying and changing with the times. Yeah. Like even now at my gym or most gyms I see four or five years ago, there was probably 20, 30 trainers at each gym yeah. and most people were pretty busy. There's still a high turnover, but most people were pretty busy and a lot of people did PT. Now I've really seen a shift in the times where people value more having an online or, or in-house um, 
coach, yeah. in-person coach, I should say, mm. um, over the PT. Mm. So, you know, some of the gyms that had 20, 30 PTs only have five, six, seven, eight now. Yeah. So I really see the change in people valuing the coaching mm. over just getting smashed for a one-on-one on, one on one PT. Yeah. Um, so, again, you just got to change with the time. So especially through COVID, obviously if your gym was closed and you were just a PT, mm. there goes your whole job, your whole income. Yeah. Um Whereas if you diversify and have different streams of income or you have or an online coach or um, face-to-face coach as well, at least you could keep those things going, whether you still help people from home or obviously online. Yeah. So yeah. 100%. that was the biggest way around it, I guess, and knowing to, to shift and shift quickly. Yeah, it's interesting, man. You know, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that you, you know, you found a way to pivot and you kind of figured out how to work through, you know, what you describe as the most difficult period in business you've ever experienced. Uh, from, from my perspective, exactly the same, you know, like I've been, um, in the industry, not quite as long as you, I'm coming up to 16 years now. Um, and not in the, you know, the, the training and the coaching side of things in the supplement and the apparel retail side of things. And, uh, you know, the, the effect on my business I've spoken about in, in the podcast and previous episodes, but, you know, in a period of two weeks, I saw my top line revenue drop by 60%. Um, you know, and, and with a business of this size, with the sort of overheads that we have, that's a fuck ton of, <laughs> you know, there's a fuck ton of money to not have that you thought you were going to have to be able to pay your overheads and pay your staff and pay your rents and pay your supplies and all of this sort of shit. And, um, you know, just, just trying to figure out how to get through that period uh, was the most challenging period in business that I've ever experienced. And I've had some really challenging times of business as I know you have you know you don't make it 20 years in without having to go through some shit but you know this was a whole new level of shit (laughs) you know what I'm saying um but on the flip side you know one of the things that I I um I coined the pandemic. I did a, a an episode of this podcast very early on and I I called it the exposure pandemic and in that the the kind of context for that was you know the the pandemic especially with the first lockdowns and whatnot was exposing a lot of people's excuses for not pursuing what they wanted to pursue you know like you've had this dream or this goal that you wanted you wanted to pursue and it's the excuse of ah oh, i haven't had time or i've got the golden handcuffs on or this excuse or that excuse or whatever and when the the first round of lockdowns and all of the government support and all of that sort of shit came in it was like all of those excuses have been exposed. So now what's your fucking excuse for not pursuing what it is you want to do? And I, I you know, I coined it the exposure pandemic because it was like, well, now it's exposing that it's actually fear. It's actually you're worried about other people's opinions. It's actually you have a little bit of self-doubt. So let's get to what the actual problem is here, confront it, and then move forward and move onwards. In the business realm, what I've noticed, and especially because yeah, you know, when when we when this pandemic first hit, I think most of us thought it was going to be six months, right? <laughs> oh, I remember the first time the gym closed, and I'm like, "We'll be back in two weeks." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was three months for Queensland, so yeah, I was way off. <laughs> yeah, well, we we were all way off, man. But you know, even the 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 communication from our federal government was six months. It was like we're going to flatten the curve. You know, it's going to be a six month period, and then it goes to nine months, and then twelve months, and then eighteen, and then two years, and we're still fucking here trying to figure out how to get through it um you know it just is what it is i think the you know previous pandemics the general lifetime is like four to five years so you know we should probably expect that we're going to be in this for quite some time it's a bit weird just for the flu isn't it yeah it's a bit crazy man it's a bit crazy but um but yeah so the you know the one thing that i've noticed from an exposure perspective as this has kind of dragged out and as you know all of the government spending's been pulled back and now there's not the support there and now it's like from a business perspective it's the old saying when the tide goes out you find out who's been swimming naked you know now we're seeing who the who the real business people are you know who are the the coaches and the trainers who are able to pivot who are able to confront challenges and figure out how the fuck to get through them you know from a from a um, a supplement and a power retail i've seen more businesses 
being wound up in definitely the last 12 months than I've seen in any 12 month period in this industry in the last 16 years, because now we're finding out like now it's hard. Now it's really fucking difficult. So do you have what it takes from a business perspective to identify the new opportunities, to let go of the opportunities that are no longer working, which is a big thing that I think a lot of people have trouble with. It's like, well, I've done this for so long. It's worked for so long. Why is it not working anymore? And they can't kind of yeah, stop. Definitely. Yeah. Can't, you know, they can't let go of that to go and pursue the new opportunities. Who's able to pivot, uh, you know, and, and, and who's able to actually confront these really difficult challenges and get through it? So, you know, that's something that I've seen from, from my perspective in the supplement and apparel and even, you know, the, the exposure that I have to, to trainers and coaches and gym owners and that sort of thing, um, you know, is something that I've seen as well. Um, let's flip focus real quick because with, uh, you know, all of this uncertainty around um, border restrictions and lockdowns and travel restrictions and shows being cancelled and, you know, uh, everything that's kind of going into this, I've got two questions for you. The first one is, as a pro athlete yourself, you turned pro in 2019 um, and you haven't competed since for obvious reasons. Uh I'm interested to know from your personal perspective how you've handled that with your training and your dieting and just your just your your um, journey as a as a bodybuilder, your journey as a pro bodybuilder. What do you focus on when there's nothing to focus on? And then the second question is, what advice do you give to competitors in Team Sacrifice who are going through the same thing? You know, not pros, they're amateurs, but it's the same situation. It's like, well, you know, I'm used to competing in a show every year or every two years, and now there hasn't been shows. And so, you know, what, Coach Logan, what do I focus on? Well, you know what, addressing, I guess, the amateurs and other people first, um, at the end of the day, for some people, it was a blessing. Yeah. Whether they thought so or not, it's a blessing for their physique or their future self as well. Because mm. so many people find it hard to take a step back, especially these days of social media and keeping up appearances and things like that, that they compete too often. Yeah. And um, we see them just look the same, if not worse now and again, yeah. six months down the track, a year down the track, when so many, so many of them need to progress more. Yeah. So... <sighs> At the end of the day, it wasn't a bad thing to make some people step back and go, all right, this is the time I need and and can grow and, you know, address their physique more yeah. instead of just rushing and getting back up there again. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's – in this day and age, everybody wants it now, mm -hmm. wants it now, wants it now. I mean, some of these people are barely 20 years old mm -hmm. and they look at it like it's ruining their life. When they need to address it for their future self, well, cool – Next show might be a year and a half, might be two years away. What can I do to progress as much as possible um, in all their goals, physically, yeah. business, relationship, whatever? Use that time wisely. Don't feel sorry for yourself all the time. Yeah. Don't think, you know, it's a waste of your time. Mm. Do the positive stuff to, to move forward. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah, and I, I guess – Go ahead. Uh, it's you know it's one of the things that and you and I speak about this every time we catch up you know is is so much of the progress progress that you make as a competitive athlete whether you're men's physique bikini wellness bodybuilding classic physique whatever if you're you you know you're competing in physique based sports so much of the progress is made in the off season you know like you you can diet for a show reverse diet diet for another show reverse diet diet for another show and your condition might get a percent better or 2% better but your physique's going to look exactly the fucking same because Exactly, because all you're doing is dieting for shows and then reversing out and then dieting again, reversing out. You don't actually have the time to be in a sustained caloric surplus where you can actually build a fucking physique, you know? And I, I see so many athletes fall into that trap. And I agree with you. Like, I think the fact that there haven't been shows to compete in for a lot of these athletes who have been able to, to, to um, you know, stay the line 
has been a blessing in disguise. If they haven't been able to do it and they've just fucking fallen off, <laughs> obviously it hasn't been a blessing in disguise. And guess what? You know, the same athletes will prep for a show, look exactly the fucking same, reverse diet out, prep for another one, look exactly the fucking same and, and you know, make zero progression. But, you know, it's such a big thing, man, is is so much of the progress is made in the off season. Um, you know, and I guess from a focus perspective, like th that would be your advice, right? Is, you know, there's no shows to compete in. So focus on actually growing a fucking physique in the off season. And it depends how big your goals are. Like these people that you say that drop off, yep. is your goal that important to you? Yeah. Then why aren't you doing the right things all the time? Yeah. So you're using that time to grow, to, to be better in the future. Again, it doesn't matter whether that's a year, two years, three years down the track. Yeah. It's going to help you move forward. Yeah. And I think the um, the other piece of advice that you hinted on, and I do want to dive into this uh, with respect to, to you and, and myself and our personal experience, but using the time away from stage to focus on other areas of your life as well. You know, like if you're super hyper-focused, and we see this with so many amateur competitors and some pros as well, if you're super hyper-focused on the show, you know, and when's the next show, and then when's the next show, and then when's the next show, that focus comes from somewhere, right? You only have so much energy and effort that you can expend, you know, and, and I think that this has been a great opportunity and will continue to be a great opportunity to go, okay, well, you know, there's no shows that I can really hyper-focus on, so let me go and deal with my personal life or let me go and deal with my professional life or let me go and deal with my relationships or, you know, other areas of my life that when I'm hyper-focused on competing and hyper-focused on a prep and hyper-focused on doing on a show, those things naturally fall by the wayside. This is the time to go and hyper-focus on them. Absolutely, yeah. Set yourself up better for when the, the competition does come around. Yeah. Work harder, put money away. When you do a comp, you spend a lot of money. So um, going into a prep with some extra savings, you know, sets you up a lot better to stay focused on the goal instead of stressing about money, especially if you're traveling overseas. Yeah. But these days it's not cheap to do any competitions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a, a big burden and it's financial. So if you can set yourself up so that next six months, if you only earn 70% of what you would usually earn because you're putting your focus and that into the competition, then it, things are okay. But if you're already living bloody week to week at 20 weeks out, then you're putting a lot of unwanted stress on yourself through the prep. 100%. Um, and just ticking off as many boxes as you can before that you get in the thick of that prep. So For sure. So I guess, you know, the advice is um – you know, use the time to focus on other things other than other than shows. It kind of sounds when you say it like that, it sounds pretty fucking obvious, right? But but it's the truth. You know, it's 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 a gift to to kind of be forced to have this time to to focus on building a physique physically and then focus on all the other areas of your life that you don't get a chance to focus on when you're when you're competing. What about Too often. You, what, yeah. what about yourself, man, personally? You know, 2019, you turned pro at the Amateur Olympia, one of the biggest amateur shows on the planet, probably the biggest amateur show on the planet. Um, you know, up in fucking stars, you know, pro card, amazing physique, awesome condition, uh, you know, and you, you kind of hit this, this peak and then it's like, well, okay, now you can't do anything. Uh, you know what? For me, the time's been good because, um, you know, after a show, I like to focus on other things, yes. business, things like that. And then as well, we found back to um, Echo, we found out we were pregnant and stuff like that. And, um, you know, that time, the good thing about COVID through that time was um, we were able to work from home a lot more. Jane was able to work transition to full-time online and at home, yeah. which was great to relax through the pregnancy and stuff like that. And um, and even the last year having Echo, but not having time to focus on him as well mm -hmm. and not having to worry about comps and things at the moment till he's that little bit older and it should be, it should be a little bit easier. Um, me and myself on stage, like I basically, you know, I'm a smaller, smaller size of the pros. Yeah. So, you know, um, I need time in that regard to grow as much as possible. I don't want to get up there and look silly. I know I'm probably never going to be Mr. Olympia, yeah. but I want to get up there and, and hold my own and um, I guess bring my the best condition, which can hopefully stand up with the best condition on the stage of anyone. Um, and yeah, and that takes time. So, And progression. Yeah. You know, it's something that you and I, we, um, 
we had a seminar um, last night and one of the, the things that we kind of brought up is, you know, uh, making sure that you progress show to show as an athlete. You know, it's it's not necessarily – we actually we actually mentioned, you know, we've had shows where we presented a physique that was not – uh, a level up on a physique that we presented the last time we competed, you know, and, and we did quite well at a show and it kind of felt, you know, almost like a little bit bittersweet. Whereas we've had times where we've made significant improvements season on season and perhaps we haven't placed as well as we wanted to, but there's so much more fulfillment in that, you know, in, in, in making sure that you, uh, as an athlete, as a pro athlete, are able to progress show to show, are able to control your controllables, are able to focus on what, what is within your sphere of influence, uh, you know, and continue to get better, you know, from season to season. Yeah, I think a greater satisfaction comes from progressing and um, looking better show to show. Like you said, winning means nothing if you look the same as last time. Yeah. Like, to me, that's not really enjoyable. I look back on um, all my shows over the years, and of course, it's we all want to win, yeah. but at the end of the day, winning is improving. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I look back and I look back on, if I don't remember the place I got in that show, yeah. I can mentally see the, the physique I, I put up on stage at that show, and that brings me satisfaction or dissatisfaction. Yeah. So yeah. That's, yeah. those memories stand out more to me how I looked than, than where I placed. Yeah. Hundred percent. I um, I have an interesting question for you, and it's it's something that uh, that that really kind of gets my mind ticking um, as a, a men's physique pro athlete, and especially because both of us work uh, within the fitness industry, right? And 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 both of us are, you know, we we've experienced pretty high levels of success in both the competing side of things and then also in our businesses as well. And I think both of us, you know, we're similar in the, in the, um, the way that we're driven in both lanes, you know, we're driven to succeed as, as businessmen and we're driven to build businesses and, and do well professionally in that regard. And then on the physique side of things, we're driven to, you know, be the best possible athletes we can be. Obviously both of us, you know, the goal until we turn pro was to turn pro and now we move to the next goal and then the goal after that. And we've experienced success in both of those lanes. My question for you is around the relationship between your business and your career, um, for lack of a better term, as a pro bodybuilder. Do you think that one enhances the other or do you think that one takes away from the other? Uh, works both ways. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the, the better I look and the more I achieve, the more people are going to be attracted to your business and to you and follow you and maybe want to work with you. Um, yeah, my hobby being my business and my business being my hobby yeah. um, has been detrimental over the years to my bodybuilding. Yeah. So you know, the last 11 years I've been full, full-time prep coach yeah. and you know I might compete on the same day as 15 other athletes. Yeah. So it gets hard to juggle all their stresses, my stresses, the highs, the lows, it all rubs off on you and um, – you know, I like to put in more for them than I do for myself. So they come first, I come second. And that's hard to do, especially when you reach the, the higher levels. Yeah. Um, do I think I could have turned pro earlier if I didn't prep people at the same time? Absolutely. Because I there's many shows I lost by a point or split decision and um, I, I know I could have st stood up there 3 4 5% better yeah. if I wasn't prepping people into the show. Mm. But the, at the end of the day, I like to balance business and and my own bodybuilding and um, that's how I do it. So no regrets. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, if you go to like the extreme and this is kind of how, this is how I frame everything. I always go to the fucking extremes. But in your situation, if you go to one extreme where you said, you know what, if I was 100% focused on business and I didn't compete at all, would my business be better or more successful than it currently is. And then on the other end of the spectrum, if you didn't have a business and all you did was focus, you went all in on competing, would you be a better competitor? What do you, what, how do you 
feel about those two scenarios? Take the business one first. If you didn't compete and you were 100% in on your business, do you think your business would be more or less successful? Uh, maybe even less. Yeah. Um, because part of my business, as I just said earlier, is yeah. presenting my physique, showing that I can lead from the front, that yeah. I can get in shape, yeah. that I can progress. So I think a lot half the attraction to the team might be how I how I do myself, you know. So I believe that competing on that side of things enhances the business. Yeah. And then on the other side of things? On the other side of things, yeah, 100% I could be a better bodybuilder. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Nothing's going to change there. So Yeah, it's kind of like the give and take. If I, you know, I I, um, put myself in that situation, obviously my business is different to yours, right? Like I'm not – the days that I'm competing, I'm not working. <laughs> I'm 100% in on competing. But if I kind of consider those two situations, you know, if I was 100% in on business and not doing what I do as a professional men's physique athlete, would my business be more successful? I don't know. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Um, I really can't answer it with with any sort of certainty. I think that my experiences as a, a competitive athlete have enhanced my ability to lead, uh, you know, in the, in the business realm, my ability to build culture, my ability to prioritize and execute. I don't know if I would have developed those skills if I didn't have competing as something, something that I did. But then on the other hand, I go, well, if I was a hundred percent in, you know, like, like training, dieting, doing cardio, all of that does take up a lot of time. If I was able to redirect that time, those resources, that energy to business, you know, would my business be more successful from a pure financial perspective, from a pure business perspective? Maybe yes. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't really answer it with, with any certainty. And then this is where it gets interesting because when I go to the other end of the spectrum, and I do, I think about this a fair bit, if I didn't, you know, if I wasn't as professionally driven and I wasn't as business driven and I, you know, just, just worked a job, whatever, but my focus was competing, you know, I was all in on competing. That's what I did. Would I be a better athlete? My answer is probably no. And the reason why I say that is, you know, you and I speak about this uh, frequently is, you know, this sport is such a marathon, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's almost like a game of survivor, you know, who can do this the longest, who can stay the healthiest, who can keep progressing for the longest period of time generally ends up being the most successful athletes. And I think that if I was 100% in on the competing side, I wouldn't have the harmony across all areas of my life to allow me to run that marathon of this lifestyle for as long as I have run it. Too consuming. And yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think I would just burn out. Yeah. I really and like we it. see it all the time. And and this is, this is what I'm going to say is we do see it all the time, right? Like how many – let's just start with the amateurs. How many amateurs do you see come through? You know, they're going to be the next pro. They're going to be the next this. They're going to be the next this. And they just fucking disappear. Yeah. And then how many of these new pros come through, right? They get to that pro level. Are they going to be next on the Olympia stage? They're going to be next in line for this and that and whatever. And two or three years later, it's like, where the fuck did they go, man? Like we see it all the time. All the time. Because it's almost like the, you know, you, you need something to offset the intensity of the competing and the fitness lifestyle to allow you to do it for a long enough period of time to achieve certain levels of success. 100%. That's what I kind of, so, but it's interesting. I like, I like thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. what if things are a little bit different? <laughs> <laughs> How would that kind of play out? So I think for myself with the bodybuilding, all it would mean is um, just a little bit more rest, a little bit more a little bit less stress. So those would be the biggest components that would um, would help towards the bodybuilding. Yeah. And then you might have to be careful that you don't become lazy as well. Yeah. You know, so. well we see that a lot as yeah. well, right? We yeah. see that a lot. It's kind of like I'm just going to train and eat and sleep and do fucking nothing else. And, you know, you, you might have a, a, you know, a reasonably successful bodybuilding career, but it doesn't last forever. And then when it's over, it's We've over. We've seen that a lot as well. Yep. hundred percent. Um, let's just, let's just geek out on bodybuilding a little bit because, um, 
you know, there's been a lot of new categories come in the last few years in the women's uh, divisions. We've had the wellness category come through um, in the last couple of years. We had the Wellness Olympia this year. Uh, we've had Classic Physique uh, is the most recent men's category. Before that, it was men's physique. Um, before wellness and women's, it was bikini, which is now over 10 years old. But you know, when you and I first started in the sport, <laughs> there was there was body for men. There was bodybuilding, and that's it. And for women, we had uh, well, we had women's bodybuilding. We had figure, figure. That's it. Yeah, and that was it. There was no bikini. There was no wellness. There was no fitness. There was no physique. There was none of these. You know, we have so many divisions, so many categories these days. Um, you know, it's it's easy to kind of get consumed in like, you know, what's the difference? What should I do? Where should I compete in? What suits my physique? Which one do I like the look of, you know, from a competitor perspective and especially, especially people, you know, who are drawn to competing for the first time because they might see a photo of, you know, a particular athlete on Instagram. They're like, oh shit, you know, that person looks really good. What do they do? Dive a little bit deeper. Oh, they compete in bikini. Oh, they compete in wellness. Oh, he's a men's physique athlete. Oh, he competes in bodybuilding. In your opinion as a coach, do you think that it's more about a certain person's physique, meaning, you know, their genetic predispositions fitting a certain category? Or do you think it's more about a person choosing a category and then trying to make their physique fit that category? So does the, does the category choose the physique or does the physique choose the category? Really, the physique chooses the category. Yeah. So, you know, if you're starting with wide waist and wide hips, then you probably shouldn't be doing bikini or men's physique. Yeah. Like, you need to build as much mass as you can, and hopefully that's in your genetic potential yeah. to, to move on to, to bodybuilding or something like that, yeah. um, or, or female bodybuilding. Um, there's a lot of girls that are let's say, very curvy that want to get down to bikini, which is a very streamlined look that, um, you know, if they want to, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm never out to tell anyone what not to do. Like, yeah. I'll offer my advice, but if they still want to do that, then, then that's all well and good. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, to be more successful, the physique has to fit the category. Yes. What's, um, you know, uh, and I'm – I know that you have a lot of personal experience with this is where you have athletes come to you, you know, let's say a guy comes to you and he's like, you know what, I want to compete in men's physique, but he just, you know, he's too short. His hips are too wide. He doesn't have the clavicle width to build, you know, he just doesn't, ha it doesn't have that men's physique genetic structure. What, firstly, what would be your advice to that particular athlete? And then, what happens if the athlete is just like, you know what, I don't want to take your advice. Uh, this is this is the look that I want. You know, how do you deal with that sort of situation? Yeah, I, um, well, first I would point them in the direction that I feel their physique is best fitting, yeah. even if that means taking their time and, and putting on a lot of size and um, fixing their symmetry and that for other divisions. But um, <laughs> again, at the end of the day, if, if they're set on that division, um, it's just going to be explaining that they might not be as successful as they, they think they can, yeah. or we can just make the best version of their physique to fit that category. Yeah. So, um, and it's about them being realistic as well about what their physique can look like. So yeah. there's a lot of people that still jump in so quickly yeah. and forget or don't see the work that people have put in to achieve their look. Like some people think, oh, bikini, you know, oh, they might have only trained for six months to look like that. When these girls have been doing and refining for years and years and years, just because they're the smallest category. Same with the men's physique. Some of those guys have been training for 15, 20 years. It's just genetically they're not going to look like Rami or Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. So um, I think there's a lot of people that probably haven't done enough research, um, a little bit naive to, to how long it takes to put on muscle tissue and create the right symmetry and, and balance of a physique. And those are the ones that the goals are probably a little bit ahead of their time. Mm. I think it, you know, it, it, like you mentioned, it comes back to, to kind of being realistic, you know, and, and, and really understanding 
why you're competing, what you're trying to get out of it, and then making your decisions based on that information. You know, like that example that I kind of gave, you know, if you don't have the genetic structure to be a good men's physique athlete, but you want to try and build a men's physique physique, that's your prerogative, 100%, right? That's on you. But the the realistic, I guess the consequence of that choice is you have to understand that you may not ever turn pro as a men's physique athlete or you may not ever win a show as a men's physique athlete because you just don't have the genetic predisposition so i understand that and go forward with that knowledge and go you know what i don't really care because that's what i'm that's the shape that i'm trying to build that's the look that i'm trying to build on the other hand you know we uh, i guess we kind of see it with bodybuilders and classic physique crossover a lot right it's like you're a bodybuilder just because you make the classic physique height and weight limit <laughs> it doesn't make you classic physique right you need to get bigger you're a bodybuilder so i think on the other hand you know if you're competing in this sport because you want to take it as far as you can and you know you're trying to turn pro and you're trying to make it to the olympia and you're trying to do this and you're trying to do that that's where you have to go okay you know what my physique is best suited to this particular category and whether or not i want to look like men's physique i'm actually a bodybuilder or whether or not i really like the classic physique look i i don't have the genetics predisposition to be a good classic physique athlete and my ambitions are a lot higher than that then you you need to do what you're genetically predisposed to do which is being a bodybuilder in that particular situation it's um you know it's interesting with the the we see it in the men's divisions quite frequently but we see it all the time in the female divisions you know like girls that that want to um create a bikini physique that you know, like you said, they're, they're curvy, right? They've got hips on them that, you know, they're never going to do well as a, as a bikini athlete. And then you see bikini athletes that really like a wellness look and you know, genetically, you're just not going to build the muscle <laughs> to, <laughs> to build that look. Um, you know, do you have experience with that with, with the females and, and, you know, is it a similar kind of advice proposition that you offer or is it slightly different? How does that kind of play out? Yeah, no, it's basically the same. It's still trying to fit the physique to the category the best, and if, if they want to choose otherwise, then that's up to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think even now, as we said before, people looking at the wellness girls and thinking that's, you know, fairly achievable when these girls are, are big in real life. Like, they pack a lot of muscle. Um, it's a very genetic category. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of girls rushing into that one that are very undersized and don't have the right structure and things as well um, that may be suited better to bikini. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that's, you know, if, if there's one piece of advice that we can kind of offer to the, to the competitive athletes or to the athletes who, you know, you haven't competed before but you're thinking to compete, you know, get some really good advice from someone like Logan who's, you know, been in this industry for over 20 years, know what genetic predispositions fit certain categories uh you know take that information and then decide what your ambitions are you know are your ambitions to do as well as you can possibly do well you got to go with your genetic predispositions if you don't give a fuck and you're just trying to look like the bikini olympia or the wellness olympia or the men's physique olympia or the classic physique olympia and you just don't care if you ever get there well, that's fine too but don't expect to be winning shows don't expect to be turning pro I think a big thing for the, a lot of the girls is, for the first timers, they think they have more muscle than they have. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the they might say, I'm wellness, and you're like, no, oh, by the time you diet down, you're yeah. well and truly bikini. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, those areas you think are muscle are just fat yeah. and uh, water. But um, so a lot of girls, even when they prep, a big complaint sometimes is, I lost my glutes. Yes. Like, I had nice full glutes and I lost my glutes. Yeah you didn't have those glutes in the first place. Yeah. Those glutes were predominantly fat with a little bit of muscle. So by the time the fat's off the top, they're, they're quite flat or, or think they lost muscle in their glutes. When they haven't, they've just dieted down to what they actually have. Yeah. So... And that comes back to, you know, what we were discussing at the, at the start of the show, man, is, is, you know, it takes time to build a physique, you know, it takes that off season, you know, and if you, if you diet for a show and you find that you lost your glutes and then you reverse out and then you pick another show in six months time and diet for that show, 
guess what's going to happen to your glutes? You're going to lose them again <laughs> yeah. because you haven't given yourself the time and the sustained caloric surplus and the training and the just the time under tension for, for you to actually build that muscle. Yeah, you know, 100%. It, it all comes back to you know, actually giving yourself the time in, in that off-season to, to make real progress. I want to ask you this because – and this kind of ties back, I guess, to um, – how we started this show with uh, the impacts of COVID on the fitness industry and the different parts of the fitness industry. You have, uh, you're definitely the longest serving coach that I know personally. Um, You know, you've been doing this a long fucking time, man. And you've experienced sustained success for a long period of time. You know, you've built, um, like I mentioned, you know, one of the most respected, most renowned uh, coaching teams in the country, um, undoubtedly. What I tend to see in the fitness industry, and this, you know, it goes all the way down from gym owners to personal trainers to coaches to people who think it's a good idea to open a supplement store to starting an apparel brand to, you know, every kind of nook and cranny and cave and valley of uh, the fitness industry. You know, I think that probably the average lifespan of someone in the fitness industry is probably less than five years. You know, people kind of come, they go, they come, they go. You've been doing this longer than anyone I know. Um, what's your secret to longevity in the fitness industry from a business perspective? I think it just recaps most of the stuff we've already gone over. So changing with the times, um, you know, whatever's thrown at you, just, you've just got to change with what's going on. Um, like we said before, the, the first... First, there wasn't as much PT. PT was just for the rich housewives. Why? The husband was at home making the money and they got a personal trainer, look at me. Then it moved on to PT and a lot of people that wanted to do shows and then it moved on to contest prep and now there's online training. Like There's people making fantastic livings just from general pop coaching around the world and you can the, the benefit of that is you can do it from anywhere. All you need is your phone or your laptop. So... I guess it's just changing with the times, knowing when to adapt. Don't get stuck in what you're doing. Um, And I've been guilty of that at times. Look what we say, I'm still doing it 20 years later. But I've diversified always with the times and whether it's offering a different product or um, just changing the way you do things. But at the end of the day as well, some of my business, because I still do face-to-face for the locals, um, there's a lot of people that don't offer that. And especially you see with the old school guys that come in and getting your skin folds done, posing in person. Um, and I'll be honest, that's easier as a coach as well. Yeah. Because with the online coaching and stuff, you're relying on people giving you the right feedback all the time, yeah. posing in the same light, in the same area. And all those variables can change things dramatically. Yeah. So um, knowing when to not get rid of things as well. Yeah, you know? 100%. I think there's... Um you know, from what I see, I think there's kind of two sides to it, right? There's the making it through the business challenges side, which is so much of what we've spoken about today, right? Is is making sure that you pivot, making sure that you um, identify new opportunities and pursue them. And then a big one is letting go of old opportunities and no longer working, right? There's that aspect of it. Um, and I think that your advice that you've given in that regard is is spot on. I think the other side of it is people generally just get bored, you know, perhaps they thought it was going to be something and it turns out to not be what they thought it was, or perhaps it's exactly what they thought it was, but it's just too monotonous and it's not stimulating enough and they just kind of get bored and they kind of go, well, you know what, I'm going to go and do something else. How have you managed that from like a keeping yourself interested, keeping yourself fulfilled, keeping yourself uh, joyful over the 20 plus years that you've been doing this? Um, I mean, there's times that I have I have definitely got over it and yeah. um, definitely needed to pull back and have a rest and reset. Um, there were stages there I was PTing from five in the morning till nine at night and then having to go home and write programs and things. And I was doing that six days a week and then having my phone blow up all day on a Sunday. And I got burnt out. Um, 
in a way, that's where COVID benefited me because I was able to then take a step back. I had three months um, at home where I had to transition the business and it allowed me to create a lot more balance. Yeah. So then when I the gym opened up and I came back, um, I got an office next to the gym rather than in the gym um, and I, I mixed up. Like I might do 20 hours of PT, 20 hours of consults and then my online work at home as well. So, and I'm in a different environment all the time. So sometimes I'm in the gym, sometimes I work from home and sometimes I work from the office next door. And that was the the best thing um, that I've done the last couple of years. Just created that balance of different environments. I can be home one and a half days with Echo, uh, my son and... um, but even having him was a big blessing as well, which definitely gives you more to push for, more to live for. So, yeah, it was lucky then. That was good timing. No doubt. But, again, it's just yeah, creating more balance. But I was stuck in the rut too. I couldn't take a step back. I'd been there for 10 years straight, PTing my ass off. And, um, yeah, COVID was a blessing in disguise as I was able to pull back, um, reevaluate, and, and actually change things. Because before I just couldn't do it. I couldn't say no to people yes. and I couldn't pull back and and I didn't even know what I wanted to do. I just didn't want to be in the gym yeah. 14 hours a day. Yeah. And with that, you stop enjoying your own training. I didn't want to be in there. I wanted to get as far from the gym for that hour and a half as possible. So that was very detrimental as well. Do you think it's – because I think about like my – my journey in um, in business in the fitness industry, and I, you know, I, when I kind of think about how it's played out and and the journey thus far, there's been so many points where I've almost kind of like reinvented myself a little bit. You know, like I'm still doing the same thing, right? I'm still running the same businesses. Primarily, we do the same things. You know, like we we selling supplements and we're selling apparel and we do the challenge and produce a lot of media and all this but you know whenever I've kind of got to a point where I was not feeling fulfilled anymore was not feeling joyful was not feeling I just wasn't enjoying what I was doing I guess I kind of had the awareness to go okay you know I it's not time to throw the towel in I just need to kind of make a small shift and kind of re kind of reinvent my role a little bit, kind of reinvent what I'm focused on, reinvent my day-to-day activities so that I'm not in this situation where I'm feeling burnt out, where I'm feeling bored, where I'm feeling like I'm doing the same shit day in, day out, and it's not fulfilling and it's just mind-numbing. Do you, do you kind of resonate with that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And even just simple things like um, not offering as much freedom for people to contact me on a Sunday yes. so I could actually take a step back yep. um, and try and relax a bit more on that day. Like if it's an emergency, sure, go ahead. If you've got a comp on, of course, I'll, I'll ideally be there. Yep. But, um, you know, or else you're just giving, giving, giving and people just take more and more and more and more. Yep. And then it's hard to step back from that. And once you offer it and you do take a step back, it's like, oh, hang on. Logan's not giving me as much anymore, but that's because you've over-delivered the rest of the time. Yeah. You know, so you've got to be careful of that one as well. Yeah, it's great advice, man. Like it's really good advice for, for the listeners and the viewers who, who work in the services side of the fitness industry or are thinking of working in, you know, coaching or PTing or, or that sort of thing. It's funny because um, I do, you know, as you know, I do a bunch of business mentoring and one of uh, the clients that I'm working with at the moment is – almost in this identical position is <laughs> it's kind of like you know what I put myself in this position where you can contact me pretty much 24 hours a day and I will get back to you within five to ten minutes and it's like that expectation has been you've set, set it yeah and it's gonna know, happen and but now it's difficult because you kind of backed into a corner and you know it's like well I want to I want to take my business to the next level, but I'm kind of trapped because I have no time to invest in taking it to the next level because I'm consistently on call because I haven't created boundaries and I've created this expectation where I will get back to you in five to 10 minutes. Which is a hundred percent where I put myself pre COVID. Yeah. 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 And it's something that I, you know, I see it quite frequently in, uh, you know, not just in the fitness industry, but in a lot of service-based businesses, you know, and it's, it's a very easy trap to fall into, of making yourself available for your clients 
all the time. Uh, and don't get it twisted. When you start, you have to, right? You, you, <laughs> you know, because you're trying to build your name. You're trying to build your business. You're trying to, you know, you're starting from the ground up. You have to give fucking everything to your clients, to your business. But there does come a point, you know, especially if you have, if you have big ambitions and you're trying to scale a business and now you've got to bring people in underneath you to do certain things and you've got to have the time to be able to train those people and invest in those people and build those people so that they can build your business. If you're on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week and you're getting back to people within five to 10 minutes, where is that time going to come from? How are you ever going to get out of that to be able to get your business to the next level. You know, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many hours you can work. You got to sleep at some point, <laughs> you know? So I guess that was kind of the blessing in disguise for you for COVID. It was, yeah, definitely. Let's say, hypothetical, COVID didn't happen. How would you start to kind of pull that back and start to put those boundaries in place to, to allow you the situation that you're currently in to allow that kind of balance? Um, I think the other benefit I would have had was Echo being born would have given me enough, whether the word strength or whatever, to uh, reason to, to pull back in that nature. Um, I don't know. It's probably why I was still there. Yeah. You know, um, start with start with a Sunday. Yeah. Right when you do your contracts with your athletes or, um, you know, whatever it may be. Put uh, 24-6, not 24-7. Yeah. And it's not 24 because who's answering the phone at 3 a.m. unless it's an emergency? Yeah. So we actually write to – we try and keep our stuff in business hours now. Yeah. So, um, again, emergency is okay, but we – it's in our contracts at the start that it's more sort of that – nine to five, eight to eight, whatever, yeah. and we have that in, in writing. So it sets the tone. They know when they sign up with us that um, that's the situation yeah. and, um, and that's definitely helped as well because yeah. they just start taking the piss. Like I dropped one green bean on the ground. What do I do? <laughs> like the example, the, the shit examples could go on all day. Um, I spilled a quarter of my pre-workout. Do I have another one? Yeah. Like. You know, it gets ridiculous mm -hmm. because you've allowed them that opportunity, and um, and of course they want attention. Like you know, your check-ins might only be every fortnight, but they want to hear from you every day somehow or another. So if they're not seeing you on social media or being interactive with, like they feel like they they they're paying for more sometimes. So that that more could just be them messaging you many times a day for reasons that don't matter at all, and it's up to them to be respectful as well. But um. Uh, another thing I've seen lately is I've prepped a couple of people and, and some people, um, and I've noticed the girls, hang on a second, I've noticed even a lot of the girls on social media, they'll do all these shoots with all their athletes and all their girls and um, they build the camaraderie. There's people out there who are lonely in the fitness industry. Their friends, their family and whatever don't talk about fitness and they're sitting there doing a comp and they want to join a team that, you know, is a bit more tight-knit, a bit of like a team, um, you know, like the girls create now, but sort of losing my train of thought. Um, but you've got to be careful because this is where you can overstep the mark. It all gets too friendly and next thing they're – bothering you more, uh, for lack of a better word, but also the lines get crossed and sometimes you're not the boss anymore. So you become, create too much of a friendship with these people um, and then they don't respect what you're telling them. You've got to still remain the boss, the authority, because if you're telling someone to do an extra half an hour of cardio that day and they don't want to do it, they might choose just not to do it. Because you've become friends, it's like, oh, they don't matter. I won't, I'll, I won't bother. But when you are the boss or you're in charge, um, they respect it a lot more. And I think you've got to keep that, that level of respect there um, to keep things flowing smoothly, basically. Yeah. I don't know if I explained that very well. but no, I 100% resonate, you know, and I see it in, in my business as well. I think you kind of see it in any, any business structure where you're trying to create real culture and real community. Yeah, they're know? better words, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that but that's exactly what you're describing. I know exactly what you're describing, you know, female coaches, guy coaches as well. It's yeah. definitely, it's definitely yeah. more prevalent uh, prevalent with the female teams. You know, they'll create a particular team for this particular coach and it's about creating community and it's about creating culture. 
And I do the same thing with my business. Like, you know, you spend, you've spent enough time here. You know, we all jump in in the morning. We're saying hi to, you know, high fives and shit and all that, you know, all that, that sort of stuff going down and we're all friends. Right. And, and that's by design. I want everyone who works in my business to feel like, you know, we're a family, to feel like we're a community, to have a really good working culture so that people feel like they look forward to coming to work. They look forward to spending time. Like you and I were here just after eight o'clock this morning. Most of the guys were in already. They don't have to start till nine, you know, and they'll be here until six, 6.30 tonight. They can, they don't have to be here past five, but they enjoy coming to work. They enjoy the camaraderie. They enjoy the community. They enjoy the culture. The flip side of that is... I have to maintain my position as the leader. You know, I have to maintain my position as the quote unquote boss. I have to maintain my position where I'm able to give constructive and candid feedback where it's needed to make sure that my staff are progressing the way that they need to progress. My team is leveling up the way they need to level up. So it's it's interesting trying to create that balance of community and culture on one hand because it's it's very good for camaraderie and ultimately it's very good for business performance. But on the other hand, you know, maintaining that managerial position and the respect that comes along with it because if that gets eroded you lose your ability to actually give constructive criticism you lose your ability to give candid feedback you lose your ability to lead which ultimately is is you know what you need to do as as the the leader of the business or the owner of the business to keep the business moving forward so i see it you know in, in, in what i do so i 100 percent resonate with you know with what you're saying but it is um you know, as a as a um, you know someone who works in a, in uh, works as a personal trainer or is trying to build this team in in a contest coaching team or whatever, it's definitely something to be aware of. Is you know, yeah, create the community, create the culture, create the camaraderie, but you have to know exactly where the line is, <laughs> and all of your clients need to know where the line is. Uh, you know, and, and it can't be crossed because once it's crossed, it's yeah, you, you never get it back. You never get it back. <laughs> um logs what's next man what's next uh, um well hopefully the year ahead um just gets better and better yep. on a worldwide situation i guess and we can all travel more freely and all shows go ahead i think season a will be 70 80 percent in numbers and then by season b it'll be probably the biggest show we've ever seen yep people itching to get back up there but there are people that want that little bit more certainty and and that about the shows and things as well um, so it's going to be a big year of, of coaching and um looking after everybody but um myself moving forward with bodybuilding um obviously i'm just trying to spend this time to try and grow and my goal when if i ever turned pro was to do a couple of shows in the states um standing next to the guys that i've, I've looked up to and watched online and um just hopefully holding my own <laughs> and then um i'd love to do a show in Australia, pro show in Australia down the track. So hopefully, um, fingers crossed, something comes back in the next few years and can do a pro show pro show here. But whether I'll compete next year, um, we're just going to have to wait for the calendar to come out. And um, I'd like to obviously not compete right when I'm prepping a lot of people. So as we spoke about before, so I can give them 100% mm-hmm. and then myself 100% when the time's right as well. And if that means waiting till 2023 yep. for a smooth run, then then so be it. I need to grow anyway, so just age is catching up. So we just can't be too long though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. No rush, man. I love, uh, I love the optimism and I love the hope. You know, I, I have a very similar mindset. I think, um, you know, for all of us in, in the fitness industry who, you know, earn a living in the fitness industry and then compete in the fitness industry, I think that, uh, you know, we've had a pretty tough run <laughs> over the last couple of years. Um, you know, us and the, uh, the travel industry, I think have probably been the two hardest hit. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's, it's all, uh, it's all looking up. Yeah, and I think people have got to realise as well that when these shows are cancelled, it's poor me, poor me, which, yes, of course, they've put a lot into it and they feel that way. But we've also got to feel for promoters, for 
it goes right back through the tanners. Some of the photographers, it's that's their main income for the whole year is shooting shooting comps and content. And if if they aren't on, they're not earning money. So you know, tanners, hair and makeup. Um, what else is there? Then people not spending money on supplements and. You know, it goes right down the line. So I think we need to think about that sometimes as well and yeah. support our, our local businesses and that where we can and, you know, not just all about yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, definitely one of the positives that has come out of all of this is it has forced us a lot of the time to think about other people, you know, to, to think about, you know, uh, especially here in Australia, like, you know, how many times I've gone, fuck, Man, I feel so sorry for people in Victoria. You know, the the in Melbourne, the most locked down city in the world. Yeah, and we've had a rough you time. Know. And you and I, being South Australia and Queensland, have had a better run than most. So, I mean, hats off to the people who have persevered and, and pushed through training and business and whatnot in um, New South Wales and Victoria, Victoria. for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's been crazy. Logs, thank you very much, man. It's been uh, it's been a great chat. I've thank taken you. a lot out of it personally. I'm sure the listeners and the viewers have. A well guys uh the one thing that we ask in return if you've enjoyed this episode as you guys know is to share the show uh make sure you tag logan so take a screenshot of your whatever podcasting platform you're watching this on post it in your instagram story tag logan logan what's your handle uh it's just at logan underscore robson that's the one at logan underscore robson tag myself at joseph mensa we'll see those tags and we'll reshare as many of them as we possibly can and then you know tell people about the show if you don't use instagram or you don't want to post in your story next time you're talking about podcasts that you listen to or netflix shows that you've watched or movies that you've gone and seen you know drop the fitness times business podcast in there uh and share the show we really appreciate it logan thank you very much it's thank been you. an absolute pleasure always a pleasure you, having you back on guys you could have been anywhere in the world right now but you're here with us we appreciate that until next time we'll catch you on the flip side Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Fitness Times Business Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you enjoyed this episode and took some value from it, make sure you share it with your friends, your family, and your followers. And if you haven't yet, be sure to leave us a five-star rating.